Welcome to Relationship, where real-life couple Justin and Candace share their keeping it real perspective on the ins and outs of their personal and professional experiences, navigating the ups and downs of partnerships in life and business. They will also offer practical advice for maintaining strong, healthy, fun, and successful relationships in life and business. If you're ready for comedic and insightful exploration of life, love, law, business, and everything else in between, you're in the right place. Buckle up, it's going to be a wild ride. Here are your hosts, Justin and Candace. All right, everybody, welcome back to Relaunching Chip. Tonight, we have Dr. Ambika Amini and Dr. Jari Amini, a dynamic husband and wife duo who bring a wealth of expertise and passion to the field of dentistry. With over 19 years of combined experience, this powerful has worked in various NHS and private practices across the UK their skills in general dentistry and orthodontics. I remember my orthodontics. As co-founders of my private dentist, their mission is to provide patients with high-quality dental care and valuable advice on all aspects of oral health. Welcome to the show, guys. Yes, welcome. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having here. us. Yeah. We always like to start off um, our podcast with just an in- a brief introduction on who you guys are separately and then how you guys came together and met and also what made you decide to embark on this crazy journey that people always tell us what are you guys thinking as a married couple going into business together so let the audience know about you guys well it's funny that you say that actually because one of our dentist colleagues the other day was saying that they thought that we were particularly weird because we work together at the same practice. So we're dentists together. We're in business together doing my private dentist. And obviously we live together. So we spend a lot of time together. And they're like, it's quite weird that you don't hate each other or you speak nicely to each other. So, I mean, it works for us. We um, actually met at dental school in London. Um, Jerry is a couple of years ahead of me. So graduated before me and moved up to Yorkshire. And then I moved afterwards. And then we ended up working separately and after a few years decided to work in the same practice an opportunity came up and we didn't know quite how that would work because I thought oh am I going to get jealous if he has lunch with someone else and not me or you know how is that going to be right um but we found a really good balance like at the beginning because Jerry's a couple of years my senior I would come home and I would have to debrief every patient that I'd seen and I'd like want to talk about everything and so work and home kind of spilled all into one and that took a little while for us to sort of find a balance for that right um but now I think it works really well how long do you think it took you to find that balance probably after a couple of weeks Jerry kind of a couple of years yeah Ooh. you guys are lucky well, that they found that balance well I think very early Jerry would stop not bite his tongue so much and say you know what like we need to just have a bit more time to do other things and not just talk about work all the time. So I think that, that was sort of a learning experience for me. Yeah. I mean, I mean even now we've, we've created two different WhatsApp chats between us. So if we're ever talking about like work related stuff, it has to go in the specific chat. And if we're talking about home related, family related, it just goes in the different one. Otherwise like, there's nothing worse than going through like a conversation and then seeing 
two or three pictures of your uh, children and then two or three pictures of like patients' teeth instead. It's like, no, I need to keep these two things separate. But that's the space that I like to live in, the blurred lines. If we instituted the, the two chat, you know, WhatsApp chat groups, I would be breaking the rules and boundaries <laughs> left and right. Justin would actually be like, excuse me, this is not the right chat group for this type of <laughs> conversation. I'd be like, you know what? Whatever. I'm your wife and this is what we're going to do. And so you have to indulge me on this right now. Congratulations on the two chats. Though. I don't think I could pull that off. Definitely not. <laughs> idea though. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a reason. Because if you have something with work related, that's easier to go back to rather than. Exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. I, I see how that could work. So let me let me ask you for introducing him to that. <laughs> so one of my favorite questions I like to ask my guests is, okay, give me your biggest growing pains in, you know, when you guys first decided to go into business together. Like it doesn't have to be one, but if you have a couple, because Justin and I sure as hell had many growing pains, but share some of your struggles and your growing pains. I think one of the main ones initially when we were actually just building our website i would spend a lot of time trying to get into the technical side of it and then just like uh build certain areas and certain layouts and certain th ways the plugins worked or and th of that side of things and then probably six hours later i'd go to ambika and i'll say oh look at all this work i've been doing and she'd be like yeah can you change this little bit? And I was like, oh, I'm not really sure if I know how to do that because I'm not experienced in that stuff, right? And also I, maybe I didn't appreciate how long it had taken. So I would come in and say, like, that's not right. That doesn't work. I don't like that. Can you change this for something else? And I think that you'd find that really frustrating at the beginning um, until I actually kind of sat down and say, okay, well, how are you coding this? Okay, yeah, actually, that's quite hard. <laughs> maybe we'll just stick with what we've got. So definitely that at the beginning. Yeah, and I was just like, maybe you need to start off by saying, wow, this looks really good. I'm really happy that you've, you've put all this effort in without diving straight into change this, do that, do this better. So, you know. I get that. I, 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 like, I, like, to that. I, like, to, I like to be like, wow, hon, that was a really great job. However, <laughs> this is where you're screwed yeah. up. It just sounds better and makes you feel good at least. I, I get it. No. You want a fucking medal for everything you do. It's yeah. like, I feel like I have two kids. We have one child, you know, a, a son. Yeah. And I feel like Justin's my second because I'm always like, good job. <laughs> and it's just like the most ordinary thing, or at least to me. But my husband expects a, or I should say my partner expects that. That was amazing work. Awesome. So now... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's not that hard to just give like a little bit if it's, you know, good job. That that would be all right. But I guess you guys are focused on improving things. Yeah. 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 We, we want to just constantly evolve. And we have this sight ahead of us of whether it's a goal or tasks. We're very task oriented. And so we just yeah. want to check the box, get yeah. things done, solve the problem and then move forward. Whereas guys made, I don't know if it's, I don't know that it's that you're myopic about things, but you're a little bit more one dimensional or maybe just one tab oh. at a time. And I might, I might be pissing off 95% of the male population in the world. I mean, 
Love I would have accepted. Sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> I would have accepted two dimensional, but one dimensional is just going too far. The word linear, you know. So <laughs> let's just use a word that I'm not even sure what that really quite means. You guys are very linear, maybe. If that's a better word for it. We're just awesome. That's the end of it. Yes, you guys are awesome. Good job, Jesse. <laughs> like, right, and it's it's not a personal attack, right? It's just they're just suggestions and improvements. Oh, so just don't take that personally, right? And, and let me ask you a question: How many um, requests for improvements do you get on a daily basis? Requests for what? Improvements. Improvements. <laughs> suggestions for improvements. Oh, several. Suggestions. <laughs> how many love taps do you get a day? Let's make it sound really flowery. How many love taps do you get a day? <laughs> As long as she puts it on my to-do list and then I just get this motivation to tick them off, then I, I'm happy to do that. Well, let's get, I want to get down to the nitty gritty because you guys run a dental practice together um, and you also have a, a business that deals with uh, dentistry. We both, you know, as being dentists and, and lawyers, we're in a in a pretty saturated market, you know. So, you know, there there isn't a shortage, let's say, of dentists and lawyers, let's say, out there. So, if somebody were to say to you guys, "All right, with all the competition that you have out there, what makes you guys so special? Why would somebody uh, I, go to your practice?" Uh, so, we don't actually own the practice. Okay. We both work in a practice together. Okay, um, but why they would come to our practice over others. Yeah. You're right. There is, there is a lot of competition, but we've kind of built up some really goodwill. We are really kind to our patients. We give them lots of time and attention. We have seen our patients for years. So you really build up a rapport. You get right. to know all of their families. You know the holidays that they've been on. Dario, particularly good. Yeah, I, I think the thing that I've found about working in dentistry is it's not so dental specific in terms of, of people just want to have a chat sometimes right so like people will come in they'll have their problems you know they, they'll have a problem with it, their tooth but the thing that they appreciate more than anything is just you know especially we have a lot of older patients somebody to talk to somebody to just have a conversation how was your holiday how's your family things like that Right. When you have somebody who has been coming to you for, you know, coming to you two or three times and then you remember things about them and you can kind of bring them things up again, I think that is the most important part of having patients like you, patients come back to you, just making, being a people person and right. making sure that people feel comfortable in your presence. I mean, just the, the word dentist send, sends a shiver down most people's spine, right? Like, right. I don't know, you know, if it's the same worldwide, but definitely in this country, like, the first thing that some people will say to you as soon as they come in is, I hate the dentist, right? So that's your starting point. And then you might say something like, oh, I hate dentists too, or something like that to them. And it, it, it just breaks the ice, right? Or, right, right. Uh, yeah, so it's just about, like not being that stereotypical, very technical person who's just right. wanting to, uh, you've got a problem and we're going to sort it out. It's about being a, 
a little bit more holistic. It's that whole journey, isn't it? Yeah. And just genuinely listening to people, being there for them, etc. cetera. Uh, I think that's what I would say I try to do to set myself apart from other dentists. Well, I wanted, and, and I love that because I, I think that a lot of professionals can be very technical and very cold because, you know, when you're especially when you're in a specialty um, and you've been training for so long in that specialty, it becomes so sterile, you know, and it becomes uh, very robotic and, and sometimes even in certain industries transactional where I think that, you know, we need to, to bring back the, the humanity and, the, you know, the, the human side of things. But I want to take it a step deeper because you guys do happen to work in an industry in which a lot of people kind of shriek and, and you know, avoid going to, but it's an absolute necessity. I mean, I remember growing up um, in Taiwan, I'm half Taiwanese, and, you know, when you grow up as a child in certain countries such as Taiwan, you know, we didn't have dental practices where kids would go to a pediatric dental practice where there's all these beautiful toys and, you know, all these pretty pictures and flat screens with, you know, with awesome cartoons and, you know, whatever it is that, you know, animations um, to watch and to keep the kids busy. And we also didn't, you know, really have the laughing gas and all that kind of stuff. So I had to suck it up. And then my parents would be like, suck it up, buttercup. I had to sit down and get drilled with with pretty much, you know, no massaging of any kind and no coddling. And I had to, you know, and so I have really traumatic, uh, I have very, very traumatic um experiences from my childhood that has kind of come full forward to where because I just don't have the best memories of it going to the dentist now I mean sometimes I have to have Justin come with me and hold my hand and I'm a grown-ass adult so yeah, what that's so, so in addition to I love the dentist by the way so I'm, well because you don't have <laughs> work done because yeah. you you know they had fluoride in the water yeah, here in the United States <laughs> We didn't have any of that. So, you know, we weren't even required to go for cleanings. You know, that wasn't a thing, you know, in Taiwan. So what, in addition to being and and bringing the human side and, and, and delivering a certain type of customer service and communication, what is it that you, what else do you do to kind of calm the fears of your clients? I mean, is there something that you do? Is there a technique that you use or, you know, anything that you guys have at your disposal that the clients have access to that alleviates their nerves and fears and calms them down? I see a lot of children and I think only since I had children of my own, we've got two, a boy and a girl. And only since I had my own children did I really understand how to talk to kids. Yeah. So you go to dental school and you're taught to use all this flowery language, like, let me get the little umbrella. Um, but it's only when you actually have children that you get it. And I see a lot of children who are super nervous. They might have decay and they need difficult treatment, right? They might need local anesthetic. They might need a tooth out. And to try and explain that to a really young child is probably one of the biggest challenges of from my point of view of dentistry Um, and because I can kind of see it from a mother's perspective. I'm also sad inside that some child has to go through this procedure when it could be completely avoided. Right. So for them, um, yes, the humanity, but also just being able to take the time, you might have to see them four or five times and 
do nothing or do very, very simple procedures and work them up till they're ready to have it. Got it. So we have, it's NHS in the UK. And um, for some services, some children that won't tolerate procedures, you can refer them for sedation or general anaesthetic, but they might be waiting a year plus for uh, that waiting list. Wow. So it's just not practical for kids that are up at night and crying and you need to do something about it. So one, being a mum helps because you can talk about all the cartoons that they're into and win them around that way. Stickers help, but also just introducing everything slowly, not surprising them, showing them what you're doing, maybe sending them away to come back another day and then try again. So you really need to be patient. And that is that is a real big str- struggle, especially because, yes, there are services available, but when the waiting lists are so long, it's as if they're not available, right? right. Um, and we have private dentistry, but it's expensive and not everybody can access it. So yeah, that's... I think part of the, the website as well is trying to bring people who are anxious often I'll I'll have people who have uh, made the reception write in big letters very anxious uh, on there and after spending 10 to 15 minutes I wouldn't say the anxiety level goes completely but it does drop down quite a lot and I think one of the things about that is just meeting the person who is going to be helping you right so what we try to do by having these profiles on my private dentist is to try to show a face to somebody before actually going into uh, that environment and trying to work on, you know, of course we talked about the human side of things that can only happen when you meet somebody, but just giving a, a little bit of a bigger picture uh, to every patient who's about, who's feeling anxious, who needs to have treatment to give them the opportunity to see somebody before the actual day and help me and help the audience really understand because you know we in the united states take for granted of the fact that we don't have a national health system and so i really want to understand intricacies of the process by which um somebody would get the dental care that they would need over let's say in the uk and how that you know and and explain how that weaves in with the website like, so take the process of, you know, a person needs dental care. What happens next, let's say, in the UK? Okay, so I think if we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of everything, I'm more than happy to do that. But we love in the nitty-gritty. The, <laughs> in the UK, we now have a shortage of dentists, just generally across the board. We have a shortage of dentists. One of the main things that happened was Brexit. So we had uh, a lot of dentists from the EU who had come over to England. So they'd come from Lithuania, uh, Ukraine, Poland, these areas across the European Union. They'd come to help treat patients on the NHS. Unfortunately, but some people think fortunately, Brexit happened. And then a lot of these dentists who had come over lost their work visas or it just wasn't the same for them to to live and work in the UK and they left. Okay. What was happening? So there was like a, a lot of dentists. The the other thing that happened was when there was an over subscription, let's say, of dentists in the UK, some of them actually did leave to go to Australia and other places around the world to work. Now what's happened is 
there's a shortage of of dentists, but there's not a shortage of patients. There's not a shortage of of problems, and you have certain areas which are more, I wouldn't say lucrative, but you know people want to work in city centres, right? They want to. If you're a dentist, you want to work in London. You want to work in Birmingham. You want to work in Manchester. The the big areas. You don't want to work in the sticks. You don't want to work in like rural areas as such. But them them areas still have high needs, right? Okay. But it means that there will be areas that just there's no dentists living and working there at all. So patients are having to travel for quite a long way just to see a dentist. Then your other so in an ideal world, everybody who needed to see a national health dentist because that's all they could afford or you know they were entitled to that treatment they should be able to see one right but that's not happened so now what what you're getting why why is there a shortage of uk dentists first so why wouldn't anybody so forget about you know brexit or anything you just look at the uk why is there a shortage of dentists just within the uk comes down to funding okay so government resources for dentistry hasn't gone up in 10 years or more uh, but prices everything has gone up okay um lots of dentists are turning to private dentistry so if there are dentists here they get paid better they're able to afford longer time resources are better there's less pressure working in the private sector Okay. So what, when percentage, we, okay, what percentage of the UK population would you say can afford pi- private dentistry? If you can get, it doesn't, you know, it have to be accurate. I won't hold you to it. 25%. Yeah. I'd say it's, it's becoming more accessible because more practices have got um, payment plans and things like that. Got and it. also not, there is a cost of living crisis over here, but Access to NHS dentistry is dwindling. So people are on waiting lists for an NHS dentist for four or five years. That's and so if they yeah. so if they have a problem, they kind their hand is kind of forced. So right. people are getting to private dentistry a lot more. Yeah. It's not a choice that they're making, it's it's out of necessity, really. This is the case for you know children who who are in pain as well. If if your child's in pain and they need some work doing, you may have been able to get some work done on the NHS before, but now either the practices are not taking NHS patients because they, they've handed back their NHS contracts because they feel like the remuneration, the, the funding they were getting was not enough. So they've just given back the contract and saying, we're going to just concentrate on our private patients, which leaves a massive gap because there's obviously so many people who have the need who can't then get access to treatment. So in theory, NHS dentistry is a beautiful thing. It means that everybody in the UK has access to free for under 18s or heavily subsidized treatment. Right. But reality, there are so many patients out there that need a dentist that can't get one. In our practice, we run an access session. So a patient that isn't registered and they're in pain, they could come in once every so often. And you see patients that really, really need a dentist. You'll see them, they'll have multiple teeth that need 
taking out or they're in a lot of pain, abscesses everywhere. But in the NHS dentistry, once a patient's in the system, they can be seen every three, six, nine months and they might not have any issues. Right. So there's a problem here where people that are very stable perhaps don't need to see an NHS dentist as much are getting in and they're in the system. But there's a big cohort of people that really need help and they can't get anyone. Can I just in for one second? Hi, everybody. I'm Justin Cerny. Nice to meet you. I do have a question. I'm going to raise my hand. Um, so based upon the fact that there's such a shortage, what type of patient caseloads are you dealing with on a daily basis? Is, is it like crazy, like uh, amounts of patients you're seeing per day? And you're not obviously seeing the same ones constantly because there's such a waiting list. I mean, what, yeah. what is that like dealing with just, you know, it must be like almost like an emergency room full of patients almost, you know, that need dentists. Right, it can be. And even the patients that are now accessing private dentistry because they think that they don't, or they feel like they don't have a choice because they can't wait for NHS. They would be coming in and they, it's not they're coming in for a checkup and they might have one issue. They might have five or six issues. So the dentistry is becoming really complicated, which is then not ha- helping anybody's anxiety or, you know, phobia of the dentist because their experience isn't necessarily the easiest. We're having difficult conversations that, you know, you might lose a tooth or, you know, you might have to have a root canal procedure, which there are horror stories of, even though, I mean, it's safe, it's a lovely, good procedure, but there are so many stories about it, right? right. So if a patient could just access and see us and they might come in, they might need a filling, a clean, and it's it's a nice experience. Right. You're seeing less of that and you're seeing patients where you're taking on a big workload to even try and get them dentally stable. But I've never had it before where I've, like even today, for example, my list was full and I had three patients come to the door just asking to be seen because they were in pain. And one of them was, yesterday there was a lady who was 88 years old. Today there was a man who was 96 years old. I mean, you are not going to turn these people away. No. You're not going to say, go away. Like, yeah. um, and they, 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 they say they've been in pain all night. They have not been able to sleep. And then I understand, like, the pressure then goes, because the reception then passes it on to us. We hear the story, and then we ask them to sit and wait. But then you have to juggle all of that throughout the day. So the solution would be more dentists, right? So training up more dentists, we have, I think, 12 universities in the UK and they take on, say, 100 new students a year. You would have to double the amount of students that they take into these these dental schools. But then again, it just comes down to funding, right? Like the government would need to subsidize because I think it costs something like £150,000 to uh, train a dentist and the dentist through a student loan will pay about 40,000 of that. And then 110,000 is through government support. So if you then multiply the numbers, so this is a a problem going all the way back to, we need more dentists. Well, everything takes more money, right? And even if you pumped it in now, well, in five years time, then dentists would come out and then start to be able to treat the local population but then there's no control over whether them dentists who come out might emigrate to a different country and work there so then have you really resolved the problem yeah that's a difficult thing and 
you know, but I, and that leads me to this question. You had mentioned that, that you discovered that there's still a void between the NHS and even the private practices that there's that there's still that big void of people that you that that still don't have access. I always say, you know, in our practice, we always take a collaborative approach because we always believe that two heads are better than one, three heads are better than two. Since you guys are, you know, um, uh, you know, partners in life and in business, have you guys sat down and figured out how to address even that void between the current private practice situation and the NHS? Because it seems as if if somebody can figure out the solution to that void, not only from a human side of, of problem solving, but also the business side of problem solving, did you, you know, is there that like eureka moment where you're both like, oh, well, this is, you know, this could be the big million dollar solution of bridging the gap or filling that void between the NHS and the current private practice. I mean, food for thought. If you, you know, if, if that yeah. big moment hasn't, the light hasn't, you know, the light bulb hasn't flashed in, in solving that problem, that is food for thought of, of, you know, what it is that you guys could potentially, this could be big. This could be big for you guys to address that problem. Without, like, you know, we're not trying to, to plug the, the business that we, we've set up or anything like that, but um, it's, a, in a way, it does kind of go into that void in between because uh, essentially, in the UK, people are not used to having a private dentist. So even for them to say, my private dentist, they've been saying for years, for generations, my NHS dentist, right? So it's almost helping people because in a way it looks like the the uh, problem with NHS dentistry, they, it looks like there won't be a solution to it. So say if NHS dentistry was to collapse and the government said, look, we can't fund it anymore, all dentistry in this country is going to be private, then it almost could just give that little bit of a helping hand to people to help them to to, yeah, to transition, to find that who's going to be, well, who's going to be my private dentist? Right. Um, well, there's this, but then it's not always necessarily um, a bad thing. The silver lining is, well, you've always been going to this one place because it's cheap, but there's actually an option of this person, this person, this person, this person who can help you. And now you get to choose which one it can be. And then hopefully if people have a choice in an area and that choice is well known, then we won't see this, uh, the prices going extortionately high because everybody can see, well, if this person, this person, this person are charging £80, but this is this person charging £250, well, right. I'm not going to go there. So I think the more information that a patient can have about their local areas, about their options, it sh I'm not saying that this is like a, the, the silver bullet that you're talking about that's going to resolve the problem, but it might just help to bridge the gap a little bit. Right, because access to information, I mean, you know, knowledge is power. So. Right. You know, so that, you know, that's a really, really great thing on it. We're, you know, almost approaching that time, but I, I don't want to, to end this podcast with you guys without asking the, the question that we always like to conclude our podcast with, which is, 
What has been your biggest lesson or biggest takeaway learned thus far in your experience, either in your practice or in your lives or both? So both of you, I want to know, you know, and they may be the same, they may be different, but I want to hear from both of you what your best life lessons are. So while you're thinking, uh, note to self, if I have a toothache in the UK, I'll probably just wait to get home to the States. <laughs> just go on myprivatedentist.com and we <laughs> I mean we yeah, have to I mean, that's what we go to yeah. here. So if you yeah, you know, that would be the perfect scenario of going on to buy private dentist. There you go. So what's your what's your best lesson learned so far? Well, I mean, I don't know why, no matter if I want to enter into a marriage, I choose this person that sat next to me. Or if I want to buy a house, I buy it with this person. If I want to choose a car. And I was start, I had this idea of starting a business. For some reason, I think there's some people that you work well with, right? And a lot of people might have said to us, you know, don't go in business together. A lot of people also said to us, like, don't work in the same practice. Like, you'll get sick of each other or whatever. But I think whether it be like running a household, which is like running a business sometimes, whether it be working together, it's all about communication, respecting with one another. And, you know, just if you have an idea or another person has an idea, you might think it's good, might think it's bad, but taking the time to listen to that other person is important. The funny thing is, we do a lot of things together. The only thing that we don't do together is I like watching football, as in like soccer. You guys call it yeah, soccer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And she doesn't like that. And she just goes crazy at me. Like if I'm watching the match or something and I'm like, look, we work together. We live together with our family. You know, you want us to have the same hobbies as well? Like we can have different hobbies, right? <laughs> It'd be better. Yeah, I, I would go with that. I would say the biggest lesson for me in terms of us working together is playing to our strengths. So we're both good at different things and we both don't need to be good at everything. So Jari's right. particularly creative. He's really good with art. He can make things look beautiful. I am probably better with more technical with words or, you know, making something sound nicer or read better. And I think... Read better? Is that even like a, a good sentence? Read well. <laughs> read well. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so I think for me, I think that's been the biggest lesson to appreciate and understand where I might need help and I might need to come to someone else and find that. And actually where I can take the lead because I know what I'm doing here and you need to let me take the lead in that. And we're getting better at that, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's constant growth, right? There's, yeah. if I never want to be complacent. So the moment where I kind of feel like everything is going well, I kind of feel like it's not going well. Because, right. you know, you I almost feel like we need to have a constant state of evolution, which requires conflict, which requires problem solving, which requires kind of sometimes being at the, you know, at the edge of our seats to actually yeah. feel like you're moving the needle in the direction that you ultimately want it to be. Otherwise, it's kind of like everything's kind of, you know, great. And yeah, it's funny. We'll have, you know, normal and yeah, 
we all have a project that we're working towards and we'll say, oh, you know, I can't wait for us to finish this project and we can just right. sit and everything will be great. And then you'll be happy for a day or two and then you'll say, what, right, what are we going to do next? Because we need to move on to the next thing. So you always think, right, I think so. But, you know, through new innovations, new ideas and growth, you're going to repeat the cycles of conflict. Again, figuring out in this new project what each of our strengths and weaknesses are in this new project and or endeavor, you know, how do we figure out how everybody's going to stay in their lane? And so I don't yeah. think that there's anything wrong with that. And, you know, I think that your lesson learned, you know, thus far in your journey is very similar to ours and a lot of the people that we have interviewed. Um, so I think that's just, that's just normal and that's, beautiful and growth and evolution so i love that so i thank you guys for sharing i i really appreciate it. and it was nice to meet you i kind of feel like we're intruding on your sleep like what oh, yeah. time is it <laughs> it's 9 like 40 yeah in the evening well we kind of have to plan things around our kids bedtime, so no no nine four no not yet I just give you we are recording no, but I feel like 9.30, I'm in my first REM cycle, you know, in the United States. <laughs> so I appreciate you guys. And, you know, Justin kind of prematurely ended it when I wasn't ready to end. I thought it was ending. But we're going to press, we're going to stop recording, but I want you guys to just stay on for just a second so we can kind of, you know, properly say goodbye to you. But thank you so much well, for, you know, being a part of relationship. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That's a wrap for this week's episode. Don't miss next week's episode for more relatable, real, and practical insights from Relationship, packed with even more candid conversations. So make sure to subscribe, tune in, and keep your wine glass full. And if you want to share your own experience or ask a question, follow us on social media and feel free to reach out. Go to CernitzLaw.com. Call 888-68-DAMAGE or email us at cshanbraun at cernitzlaw.com or jcernitz at cernitzlaw.com.